All right, guys, welcome to the Beyond Psychedelic Podcast today. I am extremely lucky to have somebody here with me today who's, uh, how do I say, kind of a pioneer in this space that we're in, talking about psychedelics, and more importantly, somebody I've gotten to meet um, and really enjoy talking to in our in our brief discussions. But since we're here today, let's get into it. G.V. Freeman, who is G.V. Freeman, a transformational guide who helps humans unstuck themselves. He has an integrated approach to coaching, consulting, and sacred medicine. Um, he works with his clients to solve modern day problems with centuries old tools. And we have GV here with over 20 years of experience in this space. He can definitely dive more into it. Thank you, GV. Welcome on board. Thank you so much for having me. And to be fair, pioneer is probably a stretch. You know, I've been working with sacred medicine since 2015. And I think that there are folks with, uh, if not decades, centuries of experience that dwarf my pioneering state. So just to to be completely fair to all of those people that have walked in front of us, uh, I am a, at best a toddler in this space, but I it is a it is a space that I have all but devoted my life to. I really appreciate you saying that. And, you know, I, I reference you as a pioneer in my eyes, because I think what's happening in the last decade is what kind of happened 50, 60 years ago and something went wrong, right? So um, the toddler presence you have in this space, I think is going to be impactful nonetheless. So I'm excited to, to talk to you more about that. So just kind of wanted to get an idea of your your background and journey that has led you to becoming a transformational guide. And what is a transformational guide for those I, who are listening? I, uh, I at least have at least three or four business cards over the past three years that I've been doing this full-time uh, when okay. my my tech, uh, COVID wrecked a tech company, I'd spent almost 25 years in corporate. Uh, I was okay. doing sales, marketing, product development for tech companies. I had a tech company during COVID. We made all of our money doing event marketing. So when every event in the world was canceled, we lost all of our revenue in a span of about 30 days. And that was the universe kind of saying, okay, well, we think that you've been walking this beam long enough. We're just going to push you off to one side. Um, I I grew up in a tiny little town in the middle of central Nebraska. Honestly, I got outed as a gay kid at 13 in a very small Midwestern town. I escaped to live as a foreign exchange student. And that's when I started developing some pretty unhealthy habits with substances. And that went on for 15 years. In 2007, I got sober. 2012, I found therapy and yoga. 2015, I found myself in Peru sitting with ayahuasca and like the my whole life changed. Now, I was not one of the people who drank ayahuasca once and said, oh, I'm supposed to like move to Costa Rica and be a shaman. <laughs> uh, for me, my path has been standing on this bridge, like in the middle of the bridge and helping people get access to what they need. So Sometimes spiritual people need help understanding the value of their time and that they, their time is worthy of money. And sometimes entrepreneurs have way too much money and they're miserable and they need a little bit more spirituality. So I sit in the middle of the bridge and I meet people where they're at. And that toolbox contains a lot of things, but one of which is psychedelics. Wow. And you mentioned toolbox because... Speaking from context as a former clinic owner in the mental health space, we've always told our patients and the general public, you know, use the tools you have in front of you. And to gain that, that the content of what that toolbox is, 
doesn't just happen over a summary of what you described in terms of your life. You know, you went through certain periods and you're like, and this year I did this. And truth is that took a lot of time. That took a lot of nurturing. That took a lot of, of growth experience, but a lot of suffering in, in some cases. <laughs> well, my teacher says that all suffering is grace. Uh, the minute that we can look at our suffering and learn from it, it immediately turns to grace. I walk through as best as I can. I walk through this life knowing that whatever triggers me from the outside is just showing me where my work's at. Um, mm. But yeah, it has been not without a significant amount of work for sure. And it takes a lot of time and effort to do the work. Um, I'll be honest. I, I calculated, I was writing a post about the cost for psychedelic assisted psychotherapy mm. And a lot of people, especially in the spiritual communities, are really unhappy with the prices that are even being listed right now in the public spaces in Oregon that are doing psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. So I wrote a post that said, listen, we've got insurance, we've got like licensure, we have all the training. And in that year alone, between my coach, my therapist, my supervisor, a trip to Peru to spend time with my teachers the the individual work that i'm doing with other practitioners i had spent about $35,000 that year just doing my own work and that's just from one year uh, that was also a year of wow. somatic psychotherapy training with the hakomi institute so we all want professionalism we all want safety in this space but when it comes right down to it very few people really want to pay for it uh, <laughs> we have been so fortunate in some ways to have health insurance, but when health insurance gets ripped away and you have to pay for your own functional medicine practitioner and you're paying like hourly rates for them, or you're paying for one psychedelic guide, let alone a male female pair that everyone says that we should have, which doubles the cost. Right now it starts to become a lot more difficult. So sure. part of my work is like really trying to find the balance between the, the sacred and the secular. That's where I walk. It's so you, wow. And I think I know what you're talking about in terms of that post, uh, some of the discontent, but you're talking about something that I think is a sensitive conversation, if you will, for, for multiple reasons, right? There's a lot of people that are impacted by the decisions that are made in terms of how healthcare is covered. And to your point, there is justification for those in the wellness space, the mental health space, the healthcare space, the overall well-being of society, anybody in that space to get some sort of income for what they do. And I do agree with that. But for the most liberated country on earth, I feel like we are the most limited in these capacities. And to your point, again, I provided something called TMS treatments, right? Transcranial Linux Stimulation Treatments. And insurance would cover it, most of it. Um, but years ago, it was limited. And the qualifications were four meds, therapy, five meds, augmenters. I mean, it just sounds inhumane to do that to somebody. And that's, and that's a requirement. But on top of that, the cost of seven to 10 to $12,000. So now co-pays are in the thousands. I looked at the numbers. I'm like, we could provide these treatments at a fraction of this cost. Why do we charge so much? And as a business owner, I'm like, I'm not going to say no to a check. Of course, this is money. I need to provide for my staff, my family, myself, right? But when we have TRICARE, military insurance, reimbursing four times what commercial insurance does, 
What do you think a lot of my competition was doing? We need to get more TRICARE patients. Yeah. We support veterans, but we want that TRICARE reimbursement. So I know exactly where you're coming from. And it's so interesting and so encouraging to hear that from you. And I like as in to have that conversation with somebody who has a like mindset about this. You know, I, I've had the the benefit of spending 25 years in corporate. I've had the benefit of spending the last almost over 15 years in more sacred spiritual context. And, and to that, like it's my path started in 12 step recovery. So mm-hmm. I am also an odd oddity in that I've got almost 16 years sober one day at a time Congrats. and offering hallucinogenic substances to individuals, many of which in the psychedelics or in the recovery space who have to go back to those meetings. And then they get questioned whether or not they're sober or not. They're happier. Like I am tremendously happier today than I was when I started in recovery, but there's a lot of people in that space who would not call me sober today. And to them, I say tough shit. Because I would rather be happy than be a, a miserable 35-year dry drunk who is still struggling with depression. My man, I like it. Tough shit. I agree with you. That's the <laughs> truth. If anybody gets in the way of, of, of your well-being, and I use that word that's very stretched, but let's just call it being happy, right? then yes, they are not in your best favor and best interest. And it's interesting. You're talking about being in the 12 step program. I think the system there to some extent does work, but then what happens in terms of what's non-conventional and that also works and how does that impact things? So, you know, to let me, let me ask you this to because we're, we're getting into something a little bit more meaty, if you will, <laughs> um, with all the optimism. And obviously we read maps in Denver. That was very mm-hmm. exciting right? To see that type of growth, 12,000 attendees, these many different renowned speakers. Do you feel we're going in the right direction overall? Yes, we are going in the right direction, but it's not just a single direction. So I think all road, roads lead to Rome. You said, well, it's uh, it's too bad that things happened in the 60s the way that they did happen. Well, right. is it too bad? Like, was it a bad thing or was it exactly the way that it was supposed to be? Like, who knows? I, I I don't have the elevator. One of my teachers likes to say, you can't teach particle physics to a particle. And I am at best a particle. So I don't have the elevation necessary to see what's right or what's wrong. I do think that we are headed in a direction. All of us are walking these individual paths. The sacred paths are walking a direction. The medical paths, the researchers, they we're all walking in this general direction to increase use. And for a long time, I said, oh, the researchers are going to ruin it for everybody. Mm -hmm. But now I'm starting to think like if if you think of a funnel and at the top of that funnel is recreational use, and then maybe you drop down a little bit and it's maybe intentional use. And then you have researchers and the scientists that are starting to gather data. And then farther down, you get to uh, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. So now it's, it's psychedelics in a clinical setting. And at the very bottom, you get, you fall out the sacred funnel. Not everybody will fall through that funnel all the way to the sacred and the spiritual. They might go in and have a profound ketamine experience or one journey with a therapist using MDMA and they're all done. But Mm. if they realize they want more and they want to go deeper, they will eventually end up falling through the sacred funnel. And that's tends to be where I play. 
but everybody's got to enter the funnel at their own space. So do you feel that the sacred funnel is the most, I guess the word would be effective? No, I think that there is, there is no one right way to psychedelic. I think that there are lots of people that want to tell you, well, you got to do it this way and you got to do it this way and you got to use three and a half grams or you got to do five grams because mm-hmm. you got to do a hero's dose and you got to, if you want to solve this trauma, you should use ketamine or this trauma should use MDMA. And I think it, all of that is horseshit. I think that it is very much up to an individual and some people really need to sit next to a licensed therapist to feel comfortable and to get to do the work that they need to work on. And some people really need to have mapacho blown on them for energetic and spiritual protection. And that's what they need. Mm. And I think that where, where this is all going to go is that we need to come back to ourselves. We need to stop expecting a doctor to prescribe a prescription and think that that's going to solve our problem. We need to come back to ourselves and say, and learn to listen to our body and say, God, body, what do you need? Like GV, 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 like call myself back in. There's the, the, the Quechua have a term called hampui. It mm. says, um, this soul of mine return to me. So when you're out surfing the cosmos, if you're having a hard time coming back, a a shaman might have you say hampui, 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 and it calls the soul back into the body. And Mm. I think that we need to come back to ourselves and stop abdicating our responsibility for our own healing journey. And when we can listen to ourselves, we will find the right path. Powerful. And it's such a nuanced discussion that takes place about coming back to well coming back to yourself is one thing but talking to a provider psychiatrist or a nurse practitioner and getting a medication we feel like we're doing that exactly that we have this conditioned mentality and i'm getting i'm gonna get slack for this because i you know being somebody in the psych- psychiatric field i get it um, but for five years i did this to myself i spent Years and hundreds and hundreds of people come through my doors, meet with my clinical team, work with these providers, go on different medication trials. And after a certain amount of time, I'm like, are we maintaining a problem or are we really alleviating the suffering and pain that's taking place? Going back to the point of providers doing what they do with medications, it's starting to become more and more of a commonplace for the pharmaceutical industry to say, these are the indications the FDA is making, therefore we are going to support that. Recently, the FDA came out and said that we can now prescribe Lexapro for anxiety for kids as young as seven years of age. Tell me in what capacity that makes any sense. So I have a question for you, GB. Where do kids come into this? Oof. <laughs> you didn't take long to rip the Band-Aid off there. Well, I, I would... <laughs> I stand between the secular and the sacred. And mm-hmm. if I look at it from a secular perspective, if we're talking about, if we're speaking to people in the Western subcontinent and the United States or maybe Europe, I think that we need to wait for kids' brains to reach a certain point of development before we start giving them a whole bunch of holotropic 
anything, whether it's in a pill, whether it's in a brew, a tea, whether it's in a mushroom. Now, on the other hand, if I go to the sacred, my teachers will serve ayahuasca to a 12-year-old. But it's in South America, and it's a very different approach. So... But but there's this non-conventional. There's this certain resent, not resentment, but this regret to say, "Oh my God, you know, are we going to talk about kids and psychedelics?" Well, we talk about kids and medications. How many kids we know are stimulants, Ritalin, Adderall? To me, I look at it the same way. So to your point, I agree with you. The brain does need to stop forming its or continues to grow at a certain point. By 24, 25 years of age, your brain's fully developed. By normally speaking, right? So. And half of that, 12 to 13 years of age, there are kids with certain, you know, diagnoses that ADHD or on the ASD spectrum can benefit from this. So I think there's something there to think about. And that's why I wanted to ask you that question. I have a question for you, though, that I think would really kind of answer uh, some questions for some of our listeners, because as you mentioned before, there's no set effective protocol to follow, right? There's no diagram to say, if you have this condition, take this amount of this. That's not how this is. So Talking about that and jumping into the word unstuck, Hmm. what does getting unstuck mean to you? Well, the first thing is you have to realize that you're stuck. So awareness that you want to change something in your life Hmm. that you are thus far unable to change on your own. And what I often do is just hold up a mirror to an individual that says, do you want to be in the place where you're in right now? And you know, it's, it's the old, if you continue to do what you've always done, you'll continue to get what you've always got. And if you want to do something different, but you can't seem to do it on your own, then you should really do something different to get to a different place. And unstucking yourself can involve a whole bunch of different things. So I, I pull in, uh, coaching. I pull in somatic psychotherapy. I pull in supplementation. I pull in body work. I pull in uh, yoga, breath to movement. Psychedelics are a part of that, but it's really, so I will, I'll, I'll say this to frame a couple of things up. My version, my definition of spirituality, it doesn't have to be like crazy woo woo energy, all the things. Spirituality is just self-knowledge. So when you Mm. become aware of who you are on the inside and you don't like it anymore and you decide, I don't want to be stuck in this worldview. I don't want to be stuck in this view of who I think I am. Then there are ways to unstuck yourself. Interesting. So when you say self-knowledge, what's the difference between that and, and what a counselor would say to you then? in terms of unstucking yourself. Because if you think about it, CBT and DBT interpersonal therapy are designed to do these things in a similar fashion, but why why are we so ineffective at it? <laughs> I'm going to make a broad, oversweeping, generalized statement that is also going to get me in trouble as well. And I don't Let's really do care it. anymore. <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> generally speaking, and this is not everybody, generally speaking, counselors and therapists tend to, to lean back And they let the client bring whatever they want to into that space and they provide a little context, but it is a very leaned back posture. Interesting. 
coaches and what I do, which is like a little coaching, a little spiritual direction, by the way, like my, my fundamental uh, concept in going into work with a client is 4,000 years of Advaita Vedanta. It's, it is non-dual philosophy and it has been working for, for millennia. And what I do is I lean forward and I challenge people to change their behavior. We look at a thought that is untrue. And when we can figure out that there is an untrue thought there, we have like 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. 80% of them are negative. 90% of them are repetitive. So if we are constantly thinking repetitive thoughts, if I can find one root thought that is negative and repetitive, and we can prove that that thought is untrue, sometimes that's all it takes to unstuck someone. It can just be targeting a single thought. I believe that term is called neuroplasticity <laughs> to well, a certain, certain level, to a certain context. Yeah. And, and that's the beautiful part of how various psychedelic or quasi psychedelic medications work in that we can use MDMA to, to find a thought that has been very triggering Mm -hmm. And it allows us to explore that thought because of the empathogenic nature of MDMA. So right. it doesn't re-traumatize us. And right. then when we add a little bit of psilocybin to the mix and we do add a whole bunch of neuroplasticity and some neurogenesis and we allow ourselves to call on a wisdom that is greater than us and say, help me change this. Whoever you're saying, help me too. Right. Sometimes we get help turning a thought around has been untrue for decades. And in a single instance with enough neuroplasticity and flexibility in the brain, we can be like, huh, that thought isn't true. And when I don't think it anymore, I feel a hell of a lot better. Facts. Facts. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about something that resonates with what I did with our patients in a conversation context, again, post-treatment about processing, right? The word processing and to understand mental health disorders or mental health deficits. I don't want to use the word disorder or diagnosis. Let's just call it an imbalance. And that's the thing in, med in medical school, I'm just going to point this out. We're taught there's this chemical imbalance that's also electrochemical electrochemically involved. And because of that imbalance, there's a deficit of neurotransmitters. So our theory was to fill that neurotransmitter tank back up. Not enough serotonin, give them an SSRI, right? Not enough dopamine, having a mismanagement of certain dopamine levels, antipsychotics, mood stabilizers. And it didn't help the processing element. We give a, we give somebody who has high anxiety something, think about it. When you have anxiety, your brain is running with a thousand cars going hundred miles an hour. So here we give them a benzo, give them some Xanax. We're decreasing the amount of cars at that one given intersection, but they're still there. They got to go somewhere. So what you're talking about to me is is so unique because that's where I see the psychedelic space going into, specifically being more effective at it with assisted psychotherapy to help the element of processing because that's what it is. It's a lack of processing. So yeah, I I get dinged a fair amount because my practice and my process tends to be a little more directive than mm -hmm. the the average bear. We we hear a lot about the inner healing intelligence of our bodies and of psychedelics. And I absolutely believe that we have inner healing intelligence and it is miraculous. And if you keep coming back to the medicine, 
enough times, you may eventually get to that core thought that is causing you to be anxious. But if you're working with someone who can help you understand the origin of that anxiety and can get to the core thought, and then in the middle of an experience, test you and determine whether or not that thought is really true. Mm-hmm. And when you have a thousand times more cognitive flexibility to say, holy crap, that thought isn't true. And I'm willing to let it go with the help of psychedelics. We can let that thought go in an instant, in a breath, that thought can disappear. 70% of the clients that I work with all come in with some type of, if we say mental deficit, they're on some SSRI, SNRI, NDRI, Benzo, whatever somebody has given them. Mm-hmm. Everybody that walks in believes that they have a chemical imbalance in their brain. And well over 80% of the people who leave realize that it was not, in fact, a chemical imbalance. It was a malformed thought pattern that they have been believing and didn't even know they were believing. They might even not, they might not even know that it was a thought running in like in program version 1.0. Because it's muscle memory, that repetitive pattern becomes a perfected routine. I always tell patients, you have a PhD in being depressed. They laugh at it. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm like, we joke about it, but we want to get a PhD in being happier. That's the idea. Yeah. You've had a, you've had, you have a certification knowing what that feels like. Let's, let's train ourselves to become a different version of ourselves. So judging, judging that conversation there, let me ask you this. What are some misconceptions or, or or a myth regarding, sorry, regarding your approach, particularly with the psychedelic space. I mean, there's definitely some context of, uh, of information out there that's not necessarily accurate, kind of like more of a gratifying change your life with one pill kind of approach to things right now, which I think, unfortunately, that's where part of the industry is going. But what are some misconceptions that you've seen with what you do? Well, if I go back to the directive versus non-directive, a lot of people will say it's none of my business to get into a client's process. And that's fine. That's their approach. Mm. And that because clients are incredibly susceptible to influence when we ingest a psychedelic, that trying to get a client to believe something that you want them to believe is unethical. And I agree with that. Right. And my approach is not to get them something to believe that I want them to believe. My my approach is to ask them enough questions to get them to believe something more truthful and positive about themselves. I Healing for me is, this is, I guess, a big misconception. You will find a lot of people who call themselves healers or whatever. And they say that if they just give you something you will be healed. If they can give you the gift of X, Y, Z, then you'll be healed. And I believe that healing is a subtractive process, not an additive one. And that if you can imagine this, like the, the core of your Tootsie pop was perfect. And then over time, the world puberty parents, all of the things add all of this hard candy shell around your, your wonderful Tootsie pop core. And it is that adapted self. It is the adapted hard candy on the outside that makes us depressed. But if we keep 
peeling back the layers, if I just see how many licks it takes me to get to the end, to the inside of that Tootsie Pop, eventually yeah. I will get back to this perfect core. And that's what therapy does. It's what psychedelics do. It helps us peel back the layers that we no longer need. And eventually I let go of all of that crap that the world placed on me or I placed on myself through the years. And eventually I get back to this place where I am not carrying around a whole bunch of heavy weight. Mm -hmm. All pharmaceuticals do is really just add more layers to that process. And to give your brethren some credit, I also sit between this area of saying some people need pharmaceuticals so they're not harming themselves. It's impossible for us to do our deep work when we're in crisis. So sometimes pharmaceuticals are required to get people out of crisis. And from that point, that's a, at least a level starting place where we can start doing the work. Well, you know, again, I, I, we're not trying to discourage people from using the conventional approach to medications. If there is a certain alleviation and you're, there's a multifactorial reason somebody has a mental health condition, a medication can bring them to a certain space where they can process better, find the right resources, unstuck themselves perhaps, right? So it's not like we're saying, don't go out and try that med. No, it's just the reliance on certain things versus others are, are just, it's troubling. It's not the most effective way to go and maybe find the most effective approach is also what's something that we can consider. If somebody was going into the transformational work or on a personal growth journey, do you feel that it's the best way to go is to go overseas, find somebody to work with individually or in a group setting? Because I understand there are certain retreats that happen in a in a group setting. And for somebody who's unfamiliar with this space, some of them are encouraged to do that. At MAPS, I actually spoke to a few people that do retreats and they were saying, oh, you know, we, we grow with a group of 20, 25 people at a time. That can be really heavy for somebody. So do you recommend for somebody going into that space as a trans into transformational work or in the personal growth journey to do something individually, perhaps in a group setting, maybe mix the two? How does someone do that? If I were to give you a prescription right now, I would be going against my own advice to say, you need to learn to listen to your own gut to understand what you need to do. Now, you ask a really good, you make a really good point. There's a lot of options. So I wrote a book last year called the Psychedelic Field Manual. It's a fairly short book. Go to psychedelicfieldmanual.com, download it. And it talks about all of these different entry points, one-on-one, -on -one, uh, group work, doing it in South America versus doing it in the US. You can sit for ayahuasca in the United States just as easily as you can sit with ayahuasca in Peru. If you want to go to Peru and sit with either San Pedro or ayahuasca, I'm taking people in November, but uh, and that will be a very small group. Uh, you can sit here in a group of 25 people sitting with Aya. And a lot of it has to do with the type of substance that you're working with. Ayahuasca is going to typically, ayahuasca and wachuma, typically served in a group setting. It's not something that you typically do alone. Okay. Mushrooms. Uh, you're to sit in a sacred mushroom ceremony. You could sit in a group. You could do easily do individual work. There are like ketamine clinics now are doing groups and even the, the psilocybin center out that opened up in Oregon is doing solo 
work, but in a group setting. So you put eye shades on, you put your own playlist on your head and you're sitting in a recliner, but there's four or five other people in the journey with you. Mm. I think that you have, I think that it's probably more important to find the person that you trust to work with and have them help you decide the path. If you're inexperienced and trying to decide this path all on your own, you don't have any of the knowledge or skills or or sensations of who to listen to and who not to listen to. So find somebody that has experience using multiple substances in multiple scenarios, group and individual, and talk to them and have them help you figure it out because doing it on your own is a long, hard battle. Do you hear that, everybody? Doing it on your own is a long, hard battle, and it's a fact. Well, look, I, I, GB, I, I think what we've seen with these at-home ketamine treatment companies that have popped up and some of our clients of ours that I've worked with, and again, I've talked to ketamine providers across the country that are single you know, treatment facilities. I always ask them one thing. Make sure some sort of integration. Make sure you offer some guidance. Don't do the you know, TV infomercial approach, you know, call now and get five free infusions if you book 10 and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, let's, let's get away from that for a second and make sure we're informing the public on what's taking place, how this works. Are you the right candidate perhaps, you know, in medicine, we have exclusion criteria that should apply to certain things in this space. So I think that's really important. And as you said, trust your gut. So I, I really appreciate that intake. Our insight, see the medical mind intake. There you go. Uh, any listeners that want to connect with you, if they're interested in learning more about your work or potentially becoming a client with you, um, is there a way to look you up perhaps? Easiest way is to go to meet, M-E-E-T-G-V.com. And that'll direct you to any number of different options. If you are just interested in more of like what I think and what I write about and just learning more about my approach, uh, Instagram is a great place. So my handle on Instagram is just Jeeves, J-U-S-T-G-E-E-V-S. That's where all of my content sits. You got to get the Ask Jeeves like patent or something. Then, if that's the case, I'm just letting you know. <laughs> that one's probably taken from a long time ago, but that's where yeah, it came from. That's where it came from. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, listen, GV, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your insight. And uh, this was a very meaty conversation. And we're definitely going to appeal to some people and maybe rub some shoulders the wrong way, but you got to have this conversation. So, thank you, GV. We appreciate it. I'm happy to do it. I tell people all the time uh, the path is wiser than the traveler. And you're perfect and you're right on time. And one of my favorite things to do is uh, be the tipper of sacred cows. So if we were able to do a couple of those today, that'd be great. I definitely think we did. (laughs) I like it. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.